0: Welcome to the podcast, Views and Voice Above the Noise, hosted by MASA, Minnesota Association of School Administrators. I'm Jane Singford. Recently, I had the pleasure of interviewing Danielle Tice, Principal and Life Space Coach for Teachers at New Dominion School, which is located on the campus of Girard Academy in Austin, Minnesota. Do you know what Life Space Crisis Coaching is? I didn't but you will hear about it in the podcast. Have you thought about the relationship of the effects of trauma on behavior and labeling students as EBD? You will hear about this too. Plus, you will get to learn about New Dominion School and you will get to meet Danielle Tice, Principal. Danielle took me on a tour of the school, which is located in a beautiful setting on the outskirts of Austin. The classroom's all had students who were engaged in learning. There were several spaces where students could go to be quiet and calm themselves if necessary. The new gym was busy and a very pleasant space. In all, the school felt quiet, engaging, with students on task with the job of learning. There are roughly 100 students at the school, but the population is fluid. About 80 to 85% are identified as special education many labeled EBD. In an article written by Danielle, we learned that, quote, youth who struggle with significant emotional, behavioral, and or psychiatric disturbances can experience barriers in traditional educational settings. At times, their mental health issues necessitate residential treatment where the child lives at a location that provides 24-hour care, supervision, and clinical intervention. Danielle is licensed as a psychotherapist, a director of special education, and principal. Her employment path has taken her through residential treatment centers, school social work programs, child protective services, mental health services, and centers for child victims of domestic violence. What's unique about this place of New Dominion is the use of life space crisis intervention which Danielle has brought to it. She is one of 20 master trainers for life-space crisis intervention in the world. You will get an idea of what that is and how it differs from other intervention strategies. In this podcast, you will hear how mental health issues, victimization by trauma, and unsuccessful behavior are like trying to separate a coin into three parts. It's not possible. You will hear about what type of person makes a good teacher for kids who need different strategies. You'll also hear about the role superintendents can play in bringing this work to their district to help students. Don't make the mistake of thinking that students who are in residential settings are vastly different from kids in your schools. It's a matter of a continuum and how adults react to student behavior. I want to start this podcast with a powerful personal belief that drives Danielle's vision.
1: So all through my life, my mother was a school social worker, and I listened to her talk about what kids needed, and I always knew that schools were the place that could be different than the rest of life, that whatever was going on at home or even outside your home in your community, this place called school could be some normalcy for anybody that needed it. Danielle was
0: working for the Austin Public Schools when she saw an opportunity that she would love to apply for.
1: The principal administrative role here being open. So I asked if I could be released from my contract and come out here and be in that role. It was the best question I ever asked, and it was the most freeing and amazing opportunity that I was blessed to have. So I came out here in 2010. So when I would drive up that driveway, I felt like I was coming home. I mean, here's this beautiful combination of mental health and education, and here are these beautiful children that just need for somebody to see them differently and give them a different opportunity. It just felt amazing to me. When I came out here, things I can show you and send, but there was up to 19 holds a week in this building. If to remember where we have adults physically restraining children, Mm which is a re-traumatization to children. And it's really the worst possible thing that can happen. No adult wants to do that. No child wants to experience it. This particular population, it's very, they're very sensitive to that adult managing and holding my body. And it absolutely is a re-traumatization. Um, when I got out here, I had a lot of adults that were thinking about compliance and saying things like, we wear hoods because they spit on us. And you don't know who we deal with. You don't know these kids. Yeah, that might work with someone else, not these kids. That kind of child-blaming language that sometimes adults will lean on when they don't know what to do and they're not well-trained on how to manage the population and support them. So we started with life space, Crisis Intervention and brought that paradigm through. When you think about kids as it pertains to how trauma has impacted the neurology, and the psychological development, how their brain can be available to process content in a classroom. When you get that, now you start realizing that we really have to go about this differently. We have to think about it differently. We have to approach it differently and we have to create a whole culture that is non-reactive. And that's hard to do. How do you create a culture? What is it that the adults have to know in order to create a culture that allows children who have experienced trauma and don't trust adults to maintain and eventually perform in that place? How do you create an environment around this population that allows them to produce something that they weren't willing to even take a risk to do in another place? So I knew that being punitive and compliance focused was not the answer, I knew that. So we had to, had to figure out, because clinical folks and special ed folks think they speak the same language, and they don't. But it flirts. It flirts, but it's not the same. What
0: is the background
1: of the students at New Dominion? I would say a, a well, very high percentage of the students at New Dominion have experienced trauma. Some of them, it does come from biologic, biology, so I'm born with depression, or born with anxiety, or maybe some pre-schizophrenic sorts of things, and they start budding later. Most of them, it's because of the experiences they've had. So understanding the affect and the meaning that they give to those experiences helps you to understand why they see the adults the way that they do. So as things get more problematic and these displays are happening at school and in the community and at home and they're getting harder for people to manage. They go and things get tighter, just like in schools where you go setting three, four. um, This is you go up through, let's try some different interventions, home-based interventions, and then you get all the way to residential treatment. So this is one step shy of hospitalization. All kinds of abuse, all kinds of abandonment, all kinds of exposure to violence, reactive attachment. Kids that have never had connectedness or felt connectedness or a reciprocal interaction and relationship with another person that was nurturing and not punitive. Um, some children who have had very uh, uh, traumatic, violent experiences. You know, trauma comes in all shapes and forms, and depending on the research that you read, they're guesstimating one in four children have been exposed to trauma in some way. Not every child ends up in residential treatment, depends what are the other resiliency factors and what else is going on in their world, but for some kids it gets this hard. Now 15% of my student population, sometimes as high as 20% of my student population are gen ed students. So they haven't risen to their display, hasn't risen to let's assess for a special education. Now they may be more internal, they take it in on themselves. Danielle
0: was introduced to Life Space Crisis Intervention, was very excited about the purpose and outcomes, and then became a master trainer herself. She gave me a wonderful book called Life Space Crisis Intervention Talking with Students in Conflicts by Long Wu and Fexer. In the book, LSCI is described as a therapeutic verbal strategy for intervention
1: with students in crisis. Working with that, that's when I was um, um, introduced to life space crisis intervention. Uh, Dr. Dolamon, who was the superintendent in Rochester at that time, said, LSCI. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I have never heard of it. So I researched that, brought that in to Rochester, went through the course with my team, implemented that. It was very congruent with what I believed clinically, but it broke it down into stages and interventions so, educators felt more comfortable with the process. What do I say? How do I respond? Well, I'm a master trainer now in life space crisis intervention. So, I've done trainings here, done them up in Staples, in uh, South Dakota. It's kind of expanding as people come to realize life space has been around for a long time. But it is the only intervention that I'm aware of that walks the child to insight so that the child has their own insight into how am I impacting me. We have so many intervention things, and like I said, I've been exposed to them all all through my whole life. That is words towards you to get you to understand. Language. I'm even going to tell you what language to say to them to get them to understand. I need the child to go, oh, I'm not trying to do that to myself. What? That's how you create that true motivation to have an adjustment. The child has to feel like there's a reason, and I want that. I want that more than I want this. And they have to feel like the adult that's doing that with me is not trying to punish me or judge me. That has to be in place. Yes, when you change how the adults think about who they serve, when adults are truly seeking to understand the perception and the experience of the child, you can reach them all. You can reach them all. And I absolutely believe that's true. What does the training actually look like and how long does it take? It's a four and a half day graduate level course. Life Space Crisis Intervention will give foundations of, to understand what trauma does to the brain, to understand how you must manage your nonverbals because of the limbic system and it has no language. So you really have to be careful about the way we're using language and, and really try to guide things environmentally and nonverbally. That's a separate training than LifeSpace, but LifeSpace will give you the underlying piece. Then it gives you six different stages we need to go through with children. And then there's six different interventions that it teaches for different kinds of kids that struggle. So kids that bring things in from home. How do you help them when they come in and they brought something in and it explodes at school? Kids that they, they miscue socially so they don't really understand their impact on the group or they thought it was going to end up one way and it didn't, but their intentions are good. That's another kind of situation. Kids that justify harm and seem to have no remorse for the impact they have on others um, and seem to even get a little pleasure sometimes from the pain that they're causing to other people. And then kids that are exploited by their peers or that exploit their peers. So it gives six different interventions that are really specific to what's happening with the child and then stages. Do I think that everybody needs to have life space intervention? No, I don't think so. But I do think the more principles that I speak with, the more buildings that I'm in, I believe systems need quality interventionists. Quality interventionists. And that's not your school social worker. Your school social worker is doing something else quality interventionists because the best time to intervene when kids are struggling is when they struggle. It's not next Thursday at two. They have to feel and experience themselves slow down. They need to know what it feels like to be in management of my breath and my emotions and my impulses. They have to feel that within themselves and the systems have to be built around them so they can do that.
0: Even though you have been a coach and have trained teachers to use LSCI, your role as an administrator is even more atmospheric, if you will, because you set the culture and expectations for the others in the school. What are some of the thought processes you have used in creating this supportive environment?
1: How do I get at least the foundational understanding to people who have the opportunity to be present with children, who don't trust adults and give them a new opportunity, give them a new experience that doesn't mirror what every other adult has meant in their world? How do I get to them? How do I get to them? (laughs) Part of what started happening, I think, is that people would come here and they would feel the culture here with this population and go, how is this happening? How is this happening? What's going on here? For a while, I was like, well, I'm doing what I know. I'm doing what I do. I've had to position the adults in this building so that this work happens with them, through them. I'm very clear about my role. I serve kids through adults, and I'm I'm very clear about that. And I need the adults to be in the right paradigm. I spend most of my time ensuring that the adults are in the right frame of mind to serve kids well. And if they cannot or will not maintain that, then I need them to move away from vulnerable children.
0: A component of life-space crisis intervention is rethinking about student behavior. Behavior is meaningful, and we as educators have often been reactive instead of reflective about student behavior. What we see as negative behavior is much more complicated
1: than that. Unfortunately, which the w- the way the system is is built, the bigger your display, the further we push you away. And we push you away into a group that kind of looks and sounds and moves like you. So now I got to get better than this group, which means I got to get better at my display. I got to manage people. I got to manage adults. I got to manage places better, right? And now I get lots of new tricks to do that. Mm -hmm. And adults don't like my tricks. They don't like my tricks at all. But if you think of it as I am that wise that I've learned how to manage people in places, because that's how I keep myself okay. If people understood that some of the kids we define as the biggest bullies are truly the most scared children in your building, think about how exhausting that would be to have to manage everyone you encounter and everywhere you go.
0: It sometimes feels overwhelming to educators because we are supposed to receive training in dealing with mental health issues, with violent behavior, with students who have experienced trauma, are they really separate issues?
1: I think it's interesting because I think mental health and education have like driven in their own lanes as though we have two separate brains and this is my mental health brain and this is my school brain (laughs) and it's never ever been the case. I think what's wonderful is schools are more open to the idea that this is people production, whether you like it or not. This is people production, and some of your people are not coming through the door available for instruction. You have to find ways to slow down their emotional state and build this culture around them. And there's so many tiers within that, I think. In my experience, especially the higher you get in intensity, the the terms and, and the things that have to be put in place in the system are much more specific. In my head, you can't separate mental health, behavior. It's all the same thing. It's all, it's all connected. All school short shooters have been male. All of them have had some sort of sense of being wronged or not included. It's just a sense of that, it's gotten to that level of desperation which makes me really sad. But I think they're all interconnected. To say, Let's teach our teachers about mental health, is to teach our teachers about the impact of trauma, is to teach our teachers that you don't have to understand the diagnosis, but you need to understand how to create environments that you manage, that do not feel punitive, where children have a sense of not being judged. Danielle has developed a visual to
0: explain what she sees as necessary in a trauma-responsive school. The diagram is very helpful to people like me who learn better with the visual. I wish you could see it, but I'll try to describe it, and Danielle will talk about it, too. There's a big circle with the words accountability, leadership, and supervision floating on the outside of the circle. In the middle of this big circle is a center one, almost like the atom of a cell, and it's called trauma-informed paradigm. It sort of looks like a very symmetrical daisy that has six petals. Those six petals Danielle has labeled with six components of the responsive school. She actually links two sets of three in a triangle that are codependent. I know this sounds really complicated but I hope it's on her website soon. The first three triangles are quality instruction and supports, effective teaming, and the TICE performance tracking system. If you don't have quality instruction, you can't have effective teaming or an accurate tracking system, so the three legs of the triangle are dependent upon one another. The second triangle links role definition, effective environmental management, and life space crisis intervention. Again, if you don't have role definition for adults, you can't have effective environmental management or appropriate life space crisis intervention. If any leg of the triangle is not present, then the other two are unsupported.
1: This is the visual that I use for my consulting work. When, okay. And I introduced this in maybe the past couple of years as a visual because people have a tendency in education to think, if I could just have the right tool or the right Rest instruction, in. bing, we got it. N- nope, this is people. This is people. People with people. And the people got to be good. And all, the only people in the system that can adjust is the adults. Mm-hmm. The children are just bringing what they know. If you could imagine, if you can imagine two triangles, most systems, when I hear them and they're asking me, what, this is what we're doing or this is what we think we should be doing, they think they're doing this. They think they're talking about things in an effective way, and they're not. They think that they're teaming in a way that supports a child, and it doesn't. They think they're talking about the right things, and they're not, because typically they're talking about behavior and talking about behavior does not resolve behavior at all so this is something they have to learn how to do the quality instruction and supports mhm but you can't get to the what until you've connected with the who you can't so i don't care how fancy your curriculum is i don't care how much money is spent for not getting there if the who doesn't feel like they can stay in the place you manage if the if you can't get there And they think, we think we have systems that track what kids do, but a lot of the systems are punitive and they use punitive language and they hold kids down. And they're more a gauge of how irritated the adult is by what's being displayed in front of me than what the child's actually doing. And those systems have been put into place and they hold kids down. They give adults the idea, the perception that I have data, but it's not objective and it's not helpful, and the kids don't participate with it. So there's ways, and and I'm really proud of the system that we have, and I've tripped over crappy systems for 18 years to get to where we are, and I'll show you some of that, but I believe you must start here. You must have a high-quality intervention that occurs with people that are trained, and that's what they do, and that is their role. Not, I'm the para, but if something goes awry, now I'm gonna go over here and do an intervention. Your role in the para is to support instruction. When I become unavailable for instruction because I'm in a crisis state, I go to the interventionist. And we can guide that by environment and face. When I see your face, I engage in instruction. When I see your face, uh, uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm too high, I'm going too fast. Role definition is huge. Um, and then environmental management, the nonverbals. I think you have to start here. Once you have that established, you can move towards these things. I always say the adults manage the environment. To me, the classroom environment in and itself holds the immediate expectation of what do we do in this space. When I enter a classroom, I should know immediately who the teacher is, who the para is, because that hierarchy should be very clear to me. If it isn't, kids who have experienced inconsistent adults will split you. And they show you how dysfunctional or functional your systems are. They show you because they dance in the gaps. That's where they are. And if you have a lot of kids dancing in the gaps, that means you don't have clarity in your systems and your roles aren't clear. Your role definition is not clear. So that's what kids show you, tail wagging the dog over here. So that's what happens. So when I think environmental management... I think, what do we do with classrooms? What is on the walls? What's visually accessible? What's auditorily accessible? Who can I reach with my foot in my hand? I'm thinking about those kind of things. How do we use the space to send a message about what we do here? That includes the feeling in the space, the level of energy. Not one adult that you will see in this building will ever be reactive and look like there's urgency. They just won't do it. What type of adult do you look for? If I can get adults to set aside their defensiveness, if I can get adults to set aside their fear of being judged as competent or incompetent, if you can get people who came into this profession because they wanted to help kids see potential in themselves that they hadn't been able to see in front of anybody else, I don't care if they're male, female, whatever, they will go there with you and they'll be re-energized because they'll feel like finally somebody tell me what i do with it the other thing that's been shocking to me over the last 10 years is how many special educators will say to me i'm licensed ebd and i've never been trained on how to effectively intervene with a child that's in crisis I'm licensed, EBD, and nobody's ever taught me how to combine how the brain is processing information with my trauma impact, put it all together in a way that I feel like I can confidently say, here's what's going on and here's how we support it.
0: What can superintendents do to support these students that struggle
1: and support the teachers that work with them? And I love that now superintendents, I would say in the last five years, Jeff Elstead, come and talk to my principals. Okay. That went to, we need you in front of all of our teachers. You know, people that get, um, come in here and will allocate resources to our most vulnerable. I'm not going to put my worst teacher in setting three. I'm putting my best and strongest because those are the most vulnerable children in my building. I'm allocating resources. You, and this, I do believe this, you make the time or they'll take the time. You allocate the resources or they'll just come and get them. You decide, do you want to manage it or do you want to pay for it later? And that's that we can't build cages fast enough. No. And we've got too many kids that have gone from what was maybe ADHD, and then now it's oppositional and now it's conduct disorder and eventually it's antisocial personality disorder that makes up 85% of our maximum security prisons. People who've lost the capacity to have compassion or empathy for other people. We have opportunities while the brain is still developing. Yes. I would love the opportunity to get my hands in in between that in that tier 2. How we making decisions about these kids that really struggle? I would love to see the impact that could, because I've done this I've done setting four and I get setting three, but I'd love to see what will be the impact on that cusp. Across the state, superintendents talk about the shortage of
0: special ed teachers. They also talk about how quickly EBD teachers burn out. Your teachers sound like they stay. Is that
1: true? And they see what can happen when you when you instill in the right way and don't judge, don't be reactive. And when you are the adult and you get punitive, and we call that being in the ditch, mm-hmm. and, and anybody can tell anybody they're in a the ditch. Our, our team has gone to a point where we're that healthy. We can have wow. those vulnerable conversations that sound like I wasn't in a good place in that moment. This has nothing to do with Susie. I was in a good place. I don't think I was controlling my face. I was probably scowling. I could feel that I was tense. My breathing was different. I needed to take some time and think about what my impact was and what was going on, because I can't be in front of her like that again. They take that level of ownership. I can feel I have to be there. I have to be present. But I don't have to be as present as I used to be. When, we, when I started, I it would say it took us a good three years to get to... Okay, now we've shifted our mindset. We have clarity and role where our environments are working. This is non-reactive. We have a culture of calm. Kids are getting what they need, and now they're learning. feels like a school. It took us three years to get there. Now we continue to stay and get better at this triangle, utilizing our data, really teaming well looking at keeping the things right in front of us. Well, how does their brain process information? What's the mental health diagnosis? How does it dance? Then we talk about those things every week. I have five interventionists in the school. I train them life space crisis intervention, and then they're part of our teams. So whenever we're talking about how kids are doing, what adjustments we're gonna make, Um, They're part of that conversation. They inform the, when they're in crisis, here's their perception. This is what we found when we're intervening. Teachers and paras do the, this is what it looks like in the classroom. This is when it seems to break down. Did you learn anything about that when they were doing an intervention? And we inform each other that way.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to Danielle Tice to hear her very positive story. She has a web page, and it's Danielle Tice. Consulting all one word dot com, and her last name is spelled T H E I S. Normally, I have a one word closing comment or one line rather about some good news, but I am going to have you listen again to Danielle because her words are so inspiring.
1: It is, it is inspiring to me to see what happens here. It feels really good to have people come here, like like you and, and others that come, and they look in the rooms and they go, where am I, what is going on right now? Well, I thought I was in residential treatment. Yeah, you are, you are. And look in the classrooms, look at what the children are doing. They're at their desks, participating and learning. It's about the who, keeping them in the right place, and then giving them the right language and sequence, But you have to have people who believe that the children's intent is positive. Children just display what they know. That's it. The adjustment comes in the adult every time. And my team is real clear about that.
0: This is Jane Sigford signing off. My email is jlsigford at comcast.net. Thanks for listening.